The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When was the last time you had a conversation with your kids, not just at your kids, about logistics and getting out the door and the things that need to be done? But when was the last time you slowed down and savored a conversation? Let's keep calm and mother on. Mothering is way too important to do alone and way too serious to be serious all the time. My name is Christy Thomas, and I am here shoulder to shoulder with you, mothering and enjoying life together. This is the podcast where you can focus on being mindful and taking a deep breath with me and learning new things so you can pause and savor the amazing life you already have. Summer is perfect for reading. Your kids are reading. You should read too. And I know it can feel hard to know if a book is actually worth your time. So for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to bring you books that are actually worth your time. And the first one is going to be about talking with kids, the art of talking with kids. Rebecca Rowland, today's guest, is a speech pathologist, a writer, a Harvard lecturer, and she's passionate about the power of language and conversation to enhance our relationships. She recently wrote a book, The Art of Talking with Children, that I devoured, and that's what we're here to talk about. I am so excited today to welcome Rebecca Rowland, the author of The Art of Talking with Children. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am, I love talking with kids, and so I'm glad you wrote this book. But tell us a little bit about yourself first. You're a mom, right? And a speech pathologist? Exactly. Yeah. So I'm the mom of two kids. They're ages five and 10. And I'm also a speech pathologist and a lecturer in education. So I actually wrote this book kind of partly as a memoir of my life as a mom, and then also partly from what I know of the research about conversation and language. When did you get interested in language and talking and listening to people and all the things that a speech pathologist does? Yeah, so it's funny because I started out very young being interested in poetry and language just in general. Yeah. Um, and but then the more I grew up and kind of interacted with people, I realized, oh, it's so fascinating just how people talk, not even in poetry, but just everyday language. I started trying to, you know, use dialogue and just listening into people. I was like, oh, this is it's really interesting, actually, if you take the time to really sit and listen to how people are actually talking to each other. I actually had a writing teacher who asked me to say, OK, let's sit in a cafe and actually, you know, take notes, just eavesdrop and listen to people talking and take notes. And that actually was such a fascinating exercise for me because I actually realized we don't tend to really listen to what other people are saying. Um, So it was actually kind of a revelation. Yeah, we really don't listen well at all, do we? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we tend to have another point where we kind of generally got the gist. But when you're actually having to do something like that, yeah, you realize 
there's so much more to what people are saying and kind of what's underneath that than we often think about. Well, I love that you wrote this book because it really did follow like part of your motherhood journey here about, I love the opening about how you're reflecting about how you're a speech pathologist and you're not sure if you're actually having conversation with your kids. Exactly. Yeah, that was one thing that actually inspired this book in part is that I was with my husband and we were sitting around after dinner, I think, in the playroom planning our days. And I was just like, oh, what did we talk about? And I realized I couldn't remember what we talked about and he couldn't remember what we talked about. And this had been sort of a whole fun filled weekend. But even with all of that, you know, I still had actually no idea what our actual interactions had been like. And I realized that was true of a lot of people. (laughs) Most of our interactions are really about logistics. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You mentioned early on in the book that we're in um, a language desert. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and what that means? Yeah. So I think it's kind of surprising because if you talk to a lot of people, they say, well, there's so much communication right now. You know, everybody's texting, everybody's tweeting. There's just, and it's true. You know, if you look at the statistics, like teenagers are texting like hundreds or thousands of times yeah, a day. There's so, so much, much input. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And there's so many words. But when you think about, well, what's actually being communicated, kind of what's the meaning behind this? What's the depth of it? There's often not much there. You know, it's often just sort of volume. You know, there was like tons and tons of information being passed back and forth, but not a lot of real communication. Um, so that's why I think about the language desert is like we have so many words, but not actually like things that are very satisfying. <laughs> yeah. And in slowing down and really enjoying conversation with your kids, that's like the fun part of parenthood. Exactly. Yeah. That's the thing is I feel like it, it, it's I wrote this book in part to say like, well, conversation can be a lot more fun. You know, it's not just that, oh, this is another thing to add. It's actually like, yeah, you can slow down and actually enjoy those days where not much is happening, you know, just by having these conversations. Yeah. And as um, this episode is coming out right at the beginning of summer, right in the middle of June here. And I thought it was such a good idea to put this here because it's like there's less on the calendar kind of right. More lazy days by the pool. But how do you take those conversations and expand them? You have this three E system of listening to your kids. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I really developed these three E's as my work as a mother and as a speech pathologist kind of evolved. And I thought, well, what are things that parents can actually do that's they're actionable that are, you know, you can do every day. And so the three E's are first is just expand, um, which really means just to take whatever your child is saying and to kind of build on it. So, you know, it could be anything from if you have a young child and they say, green truck, you know, you could say, oh, that is a green truck. Oh, let's look at the wheels. Mm -hmm. Or even if you have a, you know, a teenager and they say, oh, I felt kind of sad. You know, you could say, well, you know, what, what exactly was that? You know, were you anxious? Like, were you depressed about like you actually start to expand on what they're saying. And when you do that, you actually are starting from their perspective, kind of getting into their perspective rather than, you know, coming in with your own agenda. So you're actually kind of expanding on what they already did. Um, and second is exploring. So the second E is explore. Yeah. And that's really emphasizing for kids of all ages that we can go beyond kind of what's here and now. Um, I talk a lot in the book about, especially with young kids, we mm-hmm. can focus on things that are right in front of us. You know, like how many 
toys are there or, you know, how, what color are there? And, it's such a concrete world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, and those things are so obviously important. I'm not going to say don't teach colors to your child, but at the same time, there's so much more. Um, and I even have like, even my five-year-old, you know, is so interested in so many big things. And mm-hmm. it's just, if you take the time to explore that, you know, like he'll see a fish and say like, you know, oh, what happened to that fish? Like, how did, you know, are they eating its bones? You know, like that kind yeah. of thing. So really, there's like all these like really big things that you can explore. Um, so that's kind of the second E there. Um, and the third E is evaluate. So that really just means kind of help kids become more self-reflective, self-aware um, through your conversation. So, you know, if they did an activity, you know, even thinking through like, well, what about that was fun for you? What what was not so fun? Or if they felt like they failed at something, like, well, what part was felt like the failure? Was there a success in there? You know, so really trying to kind of help kids with that self-critical lens, not in a judgmental way, right. but to just reflect on where they've been and help them set goals for themselves. Um, so those are kind of the three E's that I felt were doable and also really based in the research in terms of like what's going to help children really learn and grow. And they're really applicable to any sort of conversation. That's why I wanted to bring it up because no matter the conversation you're having with your kids, if it's a teen with big feelings or as simple as, oh, look, the garbage truck again, you can expand any conversation with those three E's. Um, Expand, explore, and evaluate. You might not evaluate the garbage truck, I guess, but, (laughs) but in context, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, even then you can be like, well, why do you, what about that garbage truck? Did you like, did you like the big wheels? Like, I mean, you can really, you can still like on whatever level you can kind of do it. So figure out what drew that, what drew their attention. Yeah. Yeah, Kind of help them think about that. Yeah. Figure out um, what they like. It's so hard to figure out what you actually like. Exactly. Yeah. And I think so often we can say like, oh, you just like trucks, you know, but, but why do you like trucks? Is it because they're fast or they're big or you can ride in them? Like there's a million reasons. So, right. Is it the noise? Yeah. Is it yeah, <laughs> right. the flights? There's you're right. We assume a lot. That's what I took away from yeah, this book yeah. is there's a lot of assumptions going on for parents, especially like if you're the default parent or the parent in charge of most of the logistics. There's a lot of assumptions about like what has to happen next or what you think your kid already knows. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think too, just even even in terms of when things are going, we just talked about kind of when things are going well, but when things are not going well, you know, we often assume why they're not going well. Like when my <laughs> five-year-old like doesn't want to get out the door, it's like, I assume, oh, it's because, you know, you're you're kind of trying to play this game or something, but he's really like, oh, it's because my sock is itchy. If I could just get this itchy sock fixed, then I'd be ready to leave, you know, or something like that. Exactly, so yeah. We, yeah. We label these stories all the time and <laughs> exactly. they're not even the real thing that's happening. Right, right. And so we often can't fix it or we can't help because we're kind of going at cross purposes sometimes. So yeah, that's definitely, that was a big component of my book for sure. So what does quality conversation look like? It involves having these ease and maybe not just only logistics, but what does it look like? Yeah, so I really laid this out. I tried to use this, uh, the ABCs of what I call rich talk. Um, so I really think of kind of three main principles that you can look at and say, well, let's try to do more of this. Um, and the first is just adaptive, meaning that you're actually kind of going with the flow of your child. So that might mean that if your child is in kind of a, a low mood, you know, you don't necessarily push or probe, you start to notice that. 
Um, but even just in terms of ages and stages, like mm-hmm. as your child grows, maybe they don't want to have, you know, I've had parents who say, oh, they don't want to have talks with me anymore after dinner. Like we used to have these long talks and they just kind of shut down. But they say, oh, but they're interested in, you know, working out with me or playing basketball with me. So or suddenly at 10 p.m. they're ready for the conversation. At 10 p.m., exactly. <laughs> yeah. so it's like, well, when do you, how do you adapt your time and your talk to what their, you know, what their moods are, what their yeah. temperaments are and so on? Um, and the second is the B. So it's back and forth. And I really emphasize this because I think so often we think we're having a back and forth of conversation, but really our child is talking about one thing and we're probably talking about something else. So we're trying to get another point made. So nobody really feels that satisfied. Yeah, we're trying to push an agenda. (laughs) Exactly. Like we have something we want to do or teach or, and that's fine. I'm not saying don't have agendas. Right. But but there's moments where we can really say, well, let's sit and have this more reflective, responsive kind of back and forth with a child. So we're really, we say something, they say it back, and we're teaching them to listen to us too. So I think that's a big part of it. It's not just that we're listening to them, but... Yeah, it feels good to have that quality conversation with our kids. Exactly, because they're maybe understanding more of like, well, I don't want you to have this because of this reason. So now you can maybe understand more and it's not just oh, you're being mean to me or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and you get to actually enjoy the kid that you have in that moment exactly. and see them yeah. in a way um, when you're having a back and forth versus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think that's what's so funny. It's like you can be surprised. And I think that mm-hmm. was why, and a lot of times, like having my own kids, even though I was a researcher in language, I, I didn't really know kind of how much you can be surprised. Where I was like, oh, I had no idea you would say that. <laughs> Uh, and I think that's so fun. If you can, sometimes it can be, you know, very difficult depending on the It can feel unsettling, but, uh, but it's also yeah, good. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, so those, those, and then the C is just for child driven. So meaning that you really start with what's on a child's mind. And that might mean positively, like they really want to talk to you about something, but even negatively, if they're, you know, concerned about something, they're stressed about something, you're kind of focusing from where they're at. And yeah. I've just found even in my work and, research that that's when you get to that sweet spot, it really does help move the conversation forward, whether it's like a lesson you want to teach or whether it's something you want to help your child resolve. um, Really starting from that child focus is so powerful. Yeah, because all humans just want to feel safe, seen, soothed and secure, right? According to Dr. Dan Siegel in the (laughs) Yes Brain. We, We want to feel seen and having that conversation where you're feeling heard really helps a kid feel seen. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that when we think about, especially now, like lots of mental health challenges, anxiety, stress, uh, if you all do of the news. Child, yeah. Everything that's all in the news. Uh, yeah. I think really this is, could not be a more critical time for mm-hmm. this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you build time for quality conversations? Are there rituals mom can have, right? Like, so we're having this conversation at the beginning of summer. So we have some flex in our schedules, we hope. And, but we want to be able to have conversation, good conversation, even when our schedules feel too busy. So what are rituals that we can build in or habits? How do you build in the space for conversation? That yeah. feels stupid to say. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it, it's so important. And I think one thing to keep in mind is it doesn't have to be huge. So I think that we can really think about, say, five minutes. If you could just really take five minutes, 10 minutes, 
and just and do have rituals, even if they're just for yourself. So I emphasize so much that all of us are different in terms of what works for us. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I know there's some people who sort of set some kind of prescription, like, oh, family dinner time or breakfast time. And I don't like to do that because I think, you know, for some people, dinner time is chaos. And yep. so you really can't have a very meaningful conversation. But you can maybe while you're cooking dinner, if your child, you know, likes to cook or likes to sit near you and play or something like that. You can say, I'm going to just intentionally, even from your own perspective, I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to be a little quiet for these five minutes and kind of see what bubbles up for my child. So it can be as simple as that. It really doesn't have to be anything. Yeah. (laughs) And I love that that's as simple as it needs to be. It's just reminding myself, I'm going to create the intention here to be quiet and listen instead of fill the space or or to put on a true crime podcast myself. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And to realize that, Kids do often want to, you know, they have things to say, but there's often not a lot of quiet or space for them to kind of process enough. I've often noticed my son, you know, he'll play for a while and kind of make up stories, you know, with characters, like with, you know, when you're sitting just quiet and like, this guy is doing this and, and then he'll tell me about it, you know, which I think I wouldn't have normally known to listen for. Uh, yes. And early on in the pandemic in our house, we saw a lot of play about hospitals and sickness mm-hmm. and like yeah. they'll reflect back to you if you can slow down enough to listen. Exactly. And I think that that is so important too. this that all of that play, it really does help kids process what they're going through. So if they are taking on like hospital sickness, you know, whatever, COVID, Mm -hmm. that really is them trying to make sense of their world. So it is so important that they get to do that. And then also that you can help them with that if they have questions or if there's something they're, you know, really worried about, you know, talk them through it. Yeah, that's when you can pause and notice and figure out how to support. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Play is probably one of my favoriteest things. So I was super excited that it was included in your book as a way to have conversation. What do you wish parents knew about play here at the beginning of summer? Yeah, I think I would say that there's two th- two ways you can play. I would say you can play um, through language. So you can play, you can, you know, obviously go out and do fun things and talk about it, like as in a game. Yeah. You can also play with language. So you can do the puns and jokes and riddles. And those things, I mean, we kind of see them as throwaways often, like, oh, sure, we can tell some jokes or, yeah. you know, whatever. But it's actually so helpful in building children's language skills and their understanding of other people and their even their understanding of, you know, what they're reading later on. So jokes and riddles and puns are so important for kids of all ages. So I really emphasize like if you do have those kind of rituals, just to really celebrate them. And if you don't, to try to just start them because so many kids love them. Yeah. And as I say, is my kids age that my oldest two are 15 and 14 in puns and riddles and language plays is a great way to connect with a teenager in particular. Yeah. Yeah. And especially to to really, you know, honestly, like sometimes with teenagers, I'll say like, well, I actually don't know what that means. And so to really kind of like enjoy the fact that they have like a new language or this new slang and like, okay, well, let's play around with that. Am I doing it right? Did I do it wrong? You know, we were and, literally uh, talking about this on the couch last night. Like, what does this word mean that's yeah. in this meme? Like, I don't understand this one. Can you explain uh, it to yeah. me? Exactly. And even like texting language, my daughter, who's even only 10, but she'd say like, oh, did you know X and Y thing? And I'm like, I don't know what that means. Like, yeah. so I'll try to like figure out, you know, make up something. She's like, oh, that's so wrong, you know. Uh, but so I think to bring yourself to that, you know, and to really authentically 
help try to figure it out, you know, rather than always being the one who knows. And it can be so fun. Yeah, because then, especially with with playing with language, my favorite part is is them bringing back like the retro throwback words from my childhood (laughs) or even older. Like I researched, I was like, well, in 1940, this is the word. And they're like, uh, I was like, come on, what do you think? We're going to try it for a week. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. I think my daughter will do that. I'm like, yeah, so that existed way before me, actually. So yeah, I think sometimes kids, yeah, kids are not aware, and so it's it's very funny. Uh, so not only can we build strong parent child relationships and like parent to coach, right? Like there's not just our kids that we can have these great conversations with. We know that one meaningful adult can make all the difference in a kid's life. So the kid that comes over after school consistently for a snack, or the person you drive home from soccer you might be their conversation that really helps them. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Like as a speech pathologist, I've realized just to have someone in a per- in a child's life who's doing that, sitting and listening, you might be the only person. So yeah, I agree. I think it can be so powerful and we don't always value that in ourselves to be that person. But uh, it only takes one person, I think, to feel for a child to feel like, oh, there is someone out there who understands me, who wants to know more of who I am. And so I think that, yeah, it doesn't have to be your child. It doesn't have to be someone you're related to. Yeah. Just any child in your life, for sure. And it can also help with sibling relationships, conversations, yeah. and how we can help build those relationships stronger. What, what should we know about siblings in conversations? Definitely. Well, I think for one thing is a big one is perspective taking, I would say, is that helping children, especially of different ages, very big perspectives. Yes. And to actually understand, well, why is this, is my sibling doing this? Or why does my sibling want this? To actually understand that can be so powerful, I think. Um, and we don't always emphasize that because we end up getting into these squabbles and then trying to unweave the squabbles, but not necessarily taking the time either then or afterwards to kind of say, well, what is it about that that, you know, you really want? Or what is it about that that made you so upset? And actually by doing that, you wouldn't do that all the time, obviously. But by doing that, sometimes you really set the foundation for more understanding between siblings and that over time, they are going to hopefully be having less of those squabbles. And, and more understanding overall, right? Like it's, it yeah. creates that openness snowball of difference mm-hmm. for us and other people. Exactly. Yeah. So they're actually saying, OK, well, other people don't feel the way I do. And that's actually a good thing. You know, there are, it's actually good that there are people with different opinions and then people who you know, look and act and behave differently than I do. And I can actually learn something from them. So I think to set that as a foundation is so important, especially in our world today that's so politicized and there's so many kind of extreme beliefs on one side or the other. To be able to recognize and celebrate difference, I think, is just so important. Absolutely. And it can it can start with just that simple turn taking of understanding that someone thinks differently than you or responds differently. Exactly. Yeah. And even understanding why that is, you know, so do people like some people don't want this one thing, but let's think about like, what are their reasons for believing differently? And to say, well, yeah, there, that is, you know, even I was talking to my daughter about something and she was like, I don't understand why people would do that. You know, I'm like, well, let's let's talk through like what could their reasons be? You know, and she's like, oh, yeah, OK, well, let me think it could be this or it could be that, you know, and to really have kids try that. It's almost like they're practicing empathy at that moment yes. because they really are working through 
you know, trying to expand their perspectives and getting support with that. So it is almost like this exercise in it is. expanding their their worlds. Um, yeah. I read another book in earlier in the year um, called Raising Critical Thinkers by Julie Bogart. Mm-hmm. And she talked about taking on ideas and trying them on like dress up and mm-hmm. pretending like you're that That's other great. person and exactly. arguing for yeah. them. Like, why would they want to exactly. do that? Exactly. Instead of always defensive, because what that's the part of listening that stops us, right? When we're trying to justify and defend what we really believe. Exactly. And I think to just oftentimes kids and adults too, I mean, we can just dig deeper and deeper holes. Uh Well, this is what I think, and this is what you think. Yeah, well, you're wrong. We dig really fast. (laughs) Exactly. And I think, yes, we are definitely not immune to that. So it even, I would argue that doing this is even helpful for us too, just in, you know, actually having more compassion sometimes when we feel absolutely defensive. We need more empathy in all (laughs) areas. So any way we can build empathy are really, really important. (sighs) So that reminded me that one of the ideas in your book was that every, so I've got three kids. And so that I'm three different adults, basically, mm. for these three kids. Mm-hmm. And that was That's a really right. big eye-opening idea. It goes with this empathy, but also how to have conversations with them. That you need to approach your child for who they are. Um, because they're coming to me, seeing me different than they don't all see me the same. And that was a exactly. really interesting idea to sit with. Yeah, and I, I really emphasize that because I think... It's so funny. We often try with the best of intentions to say, oh, we're going to do the same thing for each kid. You know, each it's going to be fair. We give each kid the same treatment. We talk the same way. But implicitly, we see that kids are not responding the same way. You know, even yeah. if you give kind of a reprimand to one child, one child will take it really hard and the other child will laugh. And, you know, like, and so you realize like, okay, so clearly this approach isn't always one size fits all but I think it it goes beyond that to the sense that yeah kids are even seeing us as parents differently and it's sometimes it's even just you know their birth order you know the Mm -hmm. firstborn sees you really differently than maybe the second or third born but even based on their temperaments or their personalities kind of what they appreciate in you is really different Um, and so really kind of thinking that through and and understanding kind of how you can show up for each child, I think, is so critical. And this goes, it might not look the same. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I don't want to interrupt you, but it goes so well with the beginning ABCs of okay. of your conversation that that's what made me really pause and remember, like, how it's supposed to be adaptable, right? That was the A. What was the B again? Back and forth. Back and <laughs> forth, and then C, child-driven. That if I'm trying to have the same conversation We've had the same conversation about different topics, but with each kid recently separately, and it's a totally different conversation. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And to realize that that's good, actually. It's not as though, oh, well, it didn't turn out right, that one, or, you know, this, this one should have been like that one. You know, it's actually, that shows in a way that you're showing up differently because each child needs you differently. Um, and that is so important. I mean, whether... You know, it's more of a joking thing with one and one of the others needs much more seriousness, right. you know, whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's so important to recognize it just to be responsive to that and to kind of feel like it's not a failing. 
but it's actually something that's really and that's what I want to emphasize because it's so easy once you have more than one kid, right? That you get in this comparison trap of conversation in your own head with yourself about like, oh, well, this went so well with this one. How do I replicate it? Yeah. yeah and exactly. to realize that yeah. sometimes you can't. Right. Oh, exactly. And my, my two kids for sure are so different that I, you know, even, I mean, there are definitely a large age gap of five and 10, but even so, uh, I think yeah. temperament wise, I can tell they need very, very different things. So, it is very interesting, kind of, you know, an evolving situation. I think that's what it's also important to remember is that kids are always evolving and that one kid who seems like this way at this point, like mm-hmm. inhibited or shy or whatever, um, might not always be like that. So kind of to keep open. They too, probably to won't saying, always yeah, be like they that, right? Won't. Exactly. <laughs> that's the one thing me. I've learned yeah. so far is that the yeah. only constant is change and, and, and being open to meet the kid that's in front of me. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And to really to check yourself sometimes when, I mean, inevitably, this, and I think everybody has done this. If you do something and you realize, oh, that was kind of responding to the child I thought I had. Yeah. But this child has somehow evolved from that child. So when you have those moments, did you have tips about repairing and recognizing and how to make amends when you've stepped in it with your kids in a conversation? Yeah. yeah. So I think one thing that's just really important is to model being okay with making mistakes. Um, and I do, I talk about kind of having mistake conversations, even at dinner time. Well, yes, each of this is actually one of my favorites game. that I want to like copy. I want to steal the mistake a day conversation. <laughs> yeah, it, it was so funny. And it happened really kind of randomly um, just because my daughter, who was about three or four, was having problems at preschool because she wouldn't admit to mistakes and she would blame her mistakes on other people or blame problems on other yeah. people. And so I was like, oh, I don't, you know, I wasn't really sure how to handle this. And actually, we just started kind of randomly at dinner. Each of us would talk about a mistake we had made, usually pretty small and not yeah. you know, incredibly serious. Um, but then also talk about how we could repair it or what we had tried to do and then what might what we might try to do in the future. Um, so something like, oh, I forgot to bring my umbrella. I got completely wet. But next time, I'm going to have to leave my umbrella by the door so I or check the weather or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and just modeling this. So I think also to recognize that kids might not always be responsive at the start. Oh, you know, yeah. You might not have your... And my, my daughter certainly wasn't. You know, she just didn't say anything. And I was like, do you have a mistake? She's like, I don't have any mistakes. I don't or, make mistakes. I don't make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, fine. Uh, and, and not to push it, you know, just said, but we did this for a couple nights. And then I stopped. Um, just kind of, you know, yeah. got a little tired of it. And she was like, well, what was your mistake? <laughs> you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, my mistake, you know. And then it soon became this kind of game where, you know, we all had to have one and she had to have a turn too. So she kind of got involved in talking about her mistakes. And so I think that to recognize that this is, you know, really an attitude that you can model to kids. And they might not initially respond, but to think about we can make mistakes, we can apologize, or we can repair in a way that doesn't have to say that we're self-blaming or we're, you know, telling ourselves we're bad people or, you know, anything terrible like that. Yeah. We're actually strategizing for the future and kind of, you know. Such a key humble. moment right there. Yeah, exactly. As I think about um, some of the darker news about teens and mental health, this is one of the things I think about a lot is how how we can help kids realize that, there's some seasons and and you can make a mistake and things are going to get better. We can strategize things. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I think it is so key right now. When, and especially for teens where things can feel so overwhelming and it's as if, oh, everyone knows I made this mistake. It's you, It takes over their entire life, that kind yep. of thing. 
they can really use the support um, for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think about this a lot and how we can model it better as a society because everything looks so perfect all the time with all the bombardment of media, right? Like it's either horrible tsunamis of tragedy or perfection. There's a lot of research Mm -hmm. showing that kids, especially if they're looking at social comparisons, like they're looking at media to compare themselves to others. That's when it can be so challenging and damaging. Yeah, for their and it seems health. to be so teen that, girls specifically. Media, but the way teens in the are research using media. right now. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And to really think like, oh, all these other people are perfect, and I'm not perfect. Um, to really be upset about that. I yeah, I've I've tried so to start hard. interrupting myself when I see so someone's perfect house on Instagram, or I'm jealous of something, and be like, man. And I try to be a little bit dramatic instead of just yeah, yeah. saying it in my head yeah, out loud. Exactly. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that is so important for kids to hear that because oftentimes they don't necessarily have all of those critical thinking skills developed to say, oh, this right. isn't exactly how it actually looks or this isn't their actual perfect life. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Like my daughter didn't even know she was recently watching an actual television show, like a sitcom. And there was like recorded laughs. And she's like, so this is reality TV, right? And I was like, no, it's not reality so TV. So hard. <laughs> because, you know, it's just really hard, I think, given today, like what is real, what's not real, you know. And, and that so thinking think, yeah, about thinking really out loud can be a really quality time for conversation. Exactly. And even helping model, you know, if you're frustrated with something or if you are feeling challenged by something, just talking it through and saying what you're challenged by. I mean, kids really can benefit from actually hearing you talk it out rather than saying, oh, I'm just going to When I taught math, that was one of the lead things Uh, that we were trying to do um, in the early 2000s in my math education department was talking about thinking with math. Um, And so it was so exciting to read it in here, too. That, that metacognition piece, and it doesn't have to be saved for, you know, solving area problems, but <laughs> it's definitely used. Your kids are practicing thinking about thinking in school with their teachers. Exactly. So they do know what this is if you start talking out loud to yourself. Exactly. Yes. Yes. And I... <laughs> For sure. And I mean, it, it sounds maybe fancy or abstract, but I mean, if you use like very simple examples, like you're cooking something, you know, and it's like, how much do I need? Oh, I think I put too much. Oh, maybe not. You know, that kind of thing. Like there's so many just everyday chances to talk through. Yeah, thinking. we talk about and it, it with traffic directions and missing the turn. Sure. I'm still trying to figure out this new neighborhood and I'm like, oh, no. Yes. If you turn right, you have to turn left to make up for it. And <laughs> yeah, I things. think I went too far. Like, oh no! Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I mean, and actually, to hear you know that you're not totally undone by the fact that you missed a turn, or, you know that you can okay, let's take a breath. You know, let's the fact that they're actually hearing you regulate your emotions too. So it's not just about thinking, but even about so. Uh, I appreciate that pat on the back. I'll take that win. <laughs> What else do you want moms to know about talking with their kids? I guess I would say you can start at any age. Um, And even if your child is older and you think, oh, you know, time has passed, or you have young adult children, you can really do this with any age child. So I think that the adaptiveness 
the back and forth and the child driven. They're pretty human driven, aren't they? Like that style of conversation would feel so good to me if someone engaged it. Yeah, people have actually said, yeah, adults too. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, even with other adults, this is something that you can really start to think about and apply. And I would also say just to really start small. So it's not as though this, you know, needs to be something that takes over your life or anything like that. Just say, just to be more reflective, say in five or 10 minute chunks um, and see what happens. I think that oftentimes people are pleasantly surprised. Uh, I had one mom say like, oh, they actually heard, they thought they could hear their daughter's wheels turning. <laughs> yeah. you know, and she started thinking out loud. Yeah. So it's actually cool. Like when you can start to do that and kids not only feel heard, but you can really sort of understand them more as well, which I think could be really cool. That is, it is one of the best parts of parenthood mm-hmm. is really just <laughs> understanding like, oh, that's how you tick. Now I understand yeah, it a little exactly. bit more. Yeah. You're a fun exactly. human to get to know. Right. Exactly. And I think they love to feel that way. I think when you can show them that you're interested in them and that you are surprised by them, I think they can find that so fun also. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write this book and coming on to talk with me about how to talk with our kids. This is really oh, like an you. endless conversation. And there are so many ways we could have covered this. Your book is so thorough. And if you've never read a book about talking with kids, like there are some classics like how to talk so kids will listen or books about emotions. They're all referenced in this amazing book. You did such a good job of tying in lots of books into one go-to manual. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. It was, I love learning with kids. I, they're just so much weird things and curiosities that make me a better human when I'm able to slow down and pay attention to mm-hmm. a kid's conversation. For sure. And I love that. I think that's really just at the heart of it is actually just taking the time to slow down and just actually attend to what's happening in front of you. Every time on this podcast, we wrap up with two questions. How are you doing with self-care right now? Do you have a self-care idea for you or another mom? Yeah. So I really, what I love to do, and I know it's, it seems very simple, but um, I love to just take walks and listen to audiobooks um, so, uh, or in silence. Yeah. So I'll try to make sure to take at least one walk with no phone. So just totally technology free. And then one walk where I'm listening to a book or something like that, that I is totally outside of my field. So just something unusual, something where I don't feel like, oh, I have to do this, but kind of just inspiring you or something that you're you're curious about. So I think it's not like we have a lot of time usually, but even if you have just two 10 minute chunks a day, just to get out in fresh air for me has been really healing. I love that. Is there a book that really caught your interest recently? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, actually, I love the novel, The Goldfinch. Uh, it's a it's a huge book. And so it's, I've been going through it very, very slowly. <laughs> but it's actually kind of a good project because it's sort of an endless <laughs> book. Uh, I think it's over a thousand pages or something. So yeah, it's something where it's almost like, oh, I'll never get through it. But I feel like, oh, I will eventually if I <laughs> take enough short walks. So, exactly. You can really chunk it down. Book. Wait, and you Are you modeling exactly. that for your kids? Are you talking about it as you go? Yeah, like... I'm like, wow, this is a really, really big book. <laughs> Like, I'll eventually finish it. Yeah. There's so much sure. there of just showing up for yourself that way. So good job. Exactly. And how are you enjoying your family? What's your family fun? So I would say one thing that we've really loved is swimming as a family. So I think especially as the weather has gotten better, yeah. um, what's been really fun is that 
partly because of the pandemic, we haven't had really swim lessons or anything like that. Um, and so my 10-year-old decided that she was going to be my five-year-old swim coach. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> which is really funny. <laughs> and usually, you know, they have their own, you know, sibling issues. But she has been an amazing swim coach, and she, he takes it very seriously. So she'll say, okay, your swim coach is ready for the lesson, or she needs a break. And it's been it's been really fun to watch them and kind of to see her take on this kind of leadership role. And that, you know, I wouldn't have thought she would do. That is so much fun. Oh yeah, it's been it's been really fun. Very simple, you know, just finding a pool and then yeah. helping him kind of. But she's like, you know, he didn't even jump in before, and now he's going halfway across the pool. You know, so she's very proud of what she's. Yeah, doing. there's so much in that for both yeah. of them, right there. Exactly. Yeah. So I think that's fun if you can find these little ways of kind of having one teach the other, kind of empowering one. I think can be really fun for both of them. Well, thank you for sharing that. That is totally <laughs> delightful. I'm going to watch other kids when I go to the pool next, because you're right. There are yeah, so exactly. many kids that haven't had swim lessons and aren't really sure what to do sure. anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a long delay. <laughs> We're working on it. Yep. Well, thank you so much. Where can people best find you, Rebecca? Um, so I guess I would direct them to my website. So it's just RebeccaRoland.com, which is two C's and two yep. L's. And it will be in the um, show notes so, too. Oh, okay, great. So yeah, you can find my book there. You can click on the links. Um, I also have a weekly newsletter that I just oh, started fun. with different um, tips and stories and things like that. So you can you can sign up for it there also. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, you, if you didn't have to write that down, the links are in the show notes and I will put a link directly to signing up for the newsletter too. So thank you. Oh, thank you. It's been great to be on the show. I hope you have a really, really great day. Thanks. You too. Don't forget, you are exactly the right mom for your kids. I am so glad you're here today. And let this be the summer where you practice being a good enough mom. It would mean the world to me if you sent this podcast to three other people and texted them and say it was worth the listen. Thank you, everyone. Have a good one. Bye. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.